Amen. I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a little bit of a break from Luke, although Luke wrote the book of Acts, so we're just in volume 2. That's all that's happening here. But today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, I thought it would be appropriate uh, to, to take a little bit of a break and to look at what happened that first Pentecost for the church. So, follow along with me as I read from the New American Standard text, beginning in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then, just over a page or so to chapter 2, looking at the first few verses, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. You know, in the last uh, long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples that's recorded for us in John's Gospel, he, he made a promise to them. He said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you without comfort and encouragement. I'm going to give you, send to you, the Holy Spirit. He has been with you. He will be in you. And then he says, and I will come to you. In essence, in his spirit, the Lord Jesus himself would come back to them. And he said, I will be with you, as Matthew records, until the end of the age. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And so, he offered them something amazing. The same Holy Spirit that he had that filled his life, that worked through him to accomplish uh, the, the works of God and to do the healing and the deliverance and the preaching and and to live that uh, holy life, that Holy Spirit who lived in him, he said, I'm going to give you 
the very same Spirit. And therefore, the works that I do shall you do also, and even greater, because I'm going to the Father, and uh, I'm going to give you my Spirit to live in all of you, and you will see the power uh, of God through your lives. And so, as he came to that time of ascension, he said to them, Wait in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere until you have received this promise, the promise of the Father, that uh, though John baptized you in water, I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, on the day of Pentecost, that promise was fulfilled. Now, you know, most of us don't have a Jewish heritage, and as a consequence, we miss out on a lot uh, that the Scriptures refer to because they are uh, framed in the context of Jewish life and culture. Pentecost is not a new thing for the church. What happened at Pentecost was new for the church. But Pentecost was a, a, a celebratory time, a festival, uh, a holiday that the Jews celebrated 50 days after the second day of Passover. Hence, 50 days, the term Pentecost. And what that celebration entailed, among other things, was a celebration of when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai and brought it to them. For the Jews, that was the greatest event in their history. When God spoke on the mountain and carved His Word in uh, tablets of stone, and Moses brought them down and gave them to the people as the, the law and the covenant that God was establishing with them. We need to factor that in to our understanding of Pentecost for the church. Because God is drawing a big underline, a big underscore, under the distinction between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. John says in his Gospel, chapter 1, uh, verse 17, he says, The law came through Moses, but grace and truth have been realized through Jesus Christ. John is drawing this distinction for us, the distinction that was underscored at Pentecost. Because what for the Jews had been for many years, the celebration of the law became for the church the celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was a practical demonstration by God of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And under the Old Covenant, the law was static. Uh, it provided no help. It just simply said, this is the will of God, do it. And we were under obligation to live up to those statutes. And if we didn't, God graciously provided means and ways of atonement, but it was the blood of bulls and goats and lambs year after year and time after time. And there was always the reminder that that we had failed miserably to keep the law. And, and the law just stood there as a judge, offering no help. 
John uses a specific word when he relates this to us, and he says, in essence, Moses delivered the law. That was it. He was simply the mediator. He carried that law off of Mount Sinai and handed it to the people and said, these are the rules. Follow them or else. But Jesus revealed to us grace and truth. The word that John uses there is the same word for create or to originate or to produce within us. Jesus demonstrated grace and truth. Moses gave a ruler. Jesus brought a life. Moses delivered commandments. Jesus delivered demonstration and example. He lived out the meaning of grace and the reality of truth. The, the law in all of its essence was embodied in the life of Christ, not under the rigid standards of obligation, but under a natural life that flowed from His character as He lived day by day, automatically, automatically keeping all the character and all the uh, demonstration of God so that He could say to His disciples, if you've seen Me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. Not merely because He was God. (laughs) That's certainly there. But because the life that He lived demonstrated and emulated the character and presence of God. And Jesus said to His disciples, this life that I'm living... I'm living by the Holy Spirit. He is the one that is living this life through me. And I'm going to give that Holy Spirit to you. I'm going to baptize you in that Spirit. I'm going to fill you with that Holy Spirit. So that you have what I have. It's an amazing thing. Last week we had our elder deacon meeting. And every month as we've met, we've been going over one of the... uh, Articles in our statement of faith, and different ones have been presenting uh, that particular article that's designated for the month. And then uh, Vernon Caston leads us in a discussion about that. And and this uh, past month, or this last week in fact it was, uh, the article was on the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and His power uh, in our lives for for effective service. And so, uh, as the presentation was made, that happened to be Herb's responsibility last week, uh, Vernon then began to lead us in the discussion, and he brought up something that I found very interesting. I had actually never thought of it before. He said, why is it that when people talk about salvation, their experience of salvation, that they do so with joy and excitement, that they're, they're, they're filled with happiness, that God has forgiven them, that they have been born again, that they have come into fellowship with God, that they have been restored and their sins have been cleansed. And he said they're, they're excited and they're happy and joyful over that event. But then when we think of sanctification, 
many people see that as a dark and, and dreary path. Oh my goodness, I've got to be holy. And it's so difficult. And, and my life is strained and challenged. And, and it cuts against the grain. And this is so hard uh, that, that I am supposed to be sanctified. And God's discipline is at work in my life uh, to, to work on me, to shape me into holiness. And who knows how He's going to do that. And, and we're filled with all kinds of dread and uh, anticipation of what that life is going to look like. I never thought of it in those terms. For me, the crisis of the filling of the Holy Spirit, that moment of yielding to Him, uh, was an emergence from the darkness. I knew I was born again. I knew the Holy Spirit was living inside of me. In fact, the Scripture says if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Christ. So there's no question that everyone who is a Christian has the Spirit of God living inside of them. That's a, a, a testimony of Scripture. And we know that He is in us, but... But I was striving to please Him and, and working to, uh, to be godly and striving after righteousness. And my experience uh, paralleled and mirrored that of Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he said, the, the, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I hate, I do those all the time. I, I, I'm a wretched person. There's nothing good in me. No matter what I do, I mess up. Everything I try, uh, I just fail miserably. And so when there came the opportunity to, to fully understand and, and, and appreciate what God was offering me in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that was tremendous joy. Because I finally recognized that it meant I could rest from my effort. I didn't have to keep trying to do this all the time. I didn't have to keep expending all this energy trying to be godly. And I didn't have to do all of this work that was so fruitless and frustrating that God offered something entirely different. And it was a joyful experience Paul, when he comes to the end of chapter 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then he emerges into chapter 8 and he says, I thank God. There is deliverance. There's hope. There's, there's a difference. There's a great opportunity. The story is, uh, actually Watchman Nee tells it himself in the normal Christian life. He says he was in a hotel room. In China, I forget which city he was in, when he was reading the book of Romans and studying it and praying over it, and, and he said, finally, the light dawned. He said, I realized what God had been trying to get through to me all this time. That I had really died with Jesus Christ. That when he died, my, my flesh, my old nature died with him. That I had died, my life was hid with Christ and God, and, and in His resurrection I was raised to walk in a brand new life. He says, it, it occurred to me that God had done all of this for me. I didn't have to work at it, I didn't have to strive for it. 
He became so overcome with the excitement of the reality as that dawned on him that he ran down the stairs and out into the street and cried at the top of his voice, I'm dead! I'm dead! I'm dead! Can you imagine what people would have thought around him? What's wrong with this guy? He's clearly not dead, but he's sure crazy. And, and to have that experience. But he was so excited because he had come to realize that God had done everything for him in Jesus Christ. And it was only his responsibility to trust God by faith for the power of the Holy Spirit living his life in and through him. You know, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, let me make a distinction here. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit occurs when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. The Bible says that it is the Holy Spirit who brings regeneration. He causes us to be born again. He takes up His residence inside of us. There's no question about that. He becomes present in our lives. And yet, if you can think of it this way, and and we're talking metaphorically now, you hear people say, invite Jesus Christ into your heart. Well, he doesn't come into that four-chambered pump behind your sternum. It's talking about inviting him into the core of your life, into the center of your life. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes up residence. But there he's living contained and confined within the core of our being. And there's something He longs for. He longs to break out of that isolation chamber and to come throughout our life. He longs to to fill every aspect of our being. He longs to bring us under His control. I was reading uh, several testimonies in uh, the book, They Found the Secret, and one fellow uh, was struck by a message that said, the Holy Spirit desires a body like Christ had a body. The Holy Spirit desires a body in which to dwell, in which to live, that He can use for His purposes. This is what Jesus meant when He said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you My Spirit, and He'll continue to do in you what He's been doing in Me. But only if we let Him. Only if we allow Him to fill us. It is not by accident that on the day of Pentecost, as the 120 in that upper room were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit, that uh, a couple of things happened. Uh, There were tongues of fire that landed on each one of their heads. These are not to be confused with the tongues they were speaking in in the next verse or two. The tongues of fire that they saw upon each other in Scripture have a specific symbolic significance. Fire cleanses, fire purifies, fire produces holiness. Fire burns away the dross. And every one of them had a, a, a flame of fire landing on their head, making them to recognize in one another that the Holy Spirit was empowering them for holiness. And it wasn't their job to keep the law. It was His job. 
to live through them in grace and truth. But the second thing that happened was, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, and, and I'm sure they were doing more than talking. I'll bet you they were dancing around. I bet they were clapping their hands. I bet they were praising God. I, I'll bet all of these things were going on, and the people that heard the commotion and looked to see what was happening said, these people are drunk. They're under the influence of alcohol. They've lost their minds. And Peter stood up and said, oh no, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's, it's too early in the morning to get this drunk. No, this is the promise of Joel. This is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And he began to share the, the gospel message. You know, it's interesting that Peter and the other disciples had already been on a couple of mission tours around uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee and those areas. They'd already been on some mission tours. If it weren't for the gospels telling us about that, we wouldn't have any record of that. Because even though demons were cast out and people were healed, it was isolated. It was in pockets here and there. And although they were amazed, there was nothing uh, about it that, that spread like wildfire across the region in, in, in mighty demonstration of power. But when Peter stood up to explain the phenomena that they were observing on the day of Pentecost, as he finished his message, the Holy Spirit of God working through him in mighty power convicted those who heard the message. And the scripture says 3,000 men and undoubtedly their wives and their families were converted on that day. In that moment, 3,000. And then not long later, 5,000 more. And now... If you think about adding wives and children to, to the head count, there's a church in Jerusalem of 20,000 people. The Jews are quivering in their boots. They're, they're wondering about how this is going to affect their stability in Rome. The, the news is spreading like wildfire. It goes to Samaria. And revival breaks out in Samaria. And people come by the thousands to faith in Christ. And Peter and John go down and have to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit because they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Very interesting separation in terms. And all of a sudden, this little band of followers in this upper room have become a force that ultimately Rome must reckon with as they spread across the known world. How do you explain that? It is the demonstration of the power of God. So Paul said to the Corinthians when he went to them, and, and brothers, when I came to you, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I determined that, that my message to you would not be in persuasive words of man's wisdom. I didn't come to you bringing some clever apologetic. I didn't come to you bringing some uh, speech that would uh, develop your logic and, and reason you toward uh, belief in the Gospel. I came to you in demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom and intellect of human beings, but your faith would rest in the power of God. And as the Apostle Paul went 
from town to town and place to place, proclaiming the message, he did so in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that there was dramatic transformation and mighty power. There is a significant difference between being indwelt by the Holy Spirit in regeneration and having Him flow out of that central part of our lives and begin to possess and control all of us. So that Paul also draws the parallel between the filling of the Holy Spirit and drunkenness. When he says in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. What happens when you're drunk with wine? What happens when you're drunk? Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. What happens when someone is drunk? Does that make you feel better? I was seeing some of you get a little nervous. You were hesitant to answer me. What happens when someone is drunk? Well, they come under the influence of alcohol. They can't walk straight. They can't touch their nose. Their eyes bounce off the sides of their head. Uh, these are the tests that the police officer does when he pulls you over for wandering all over the lane and driving too slow. Contrary to popular belief, most drunks drive slow because they can't uh, see where the lane is and they want to be careful to stay in it. Every once in a while, somebody does the opposite, but you get pulled over, someone gets pulled over, and, and the officer goes through these tests to determine if you are under the influence because the alcohol has permeated your system and affected your brain and it's taken over. You lose your inhibitions. You say things you hopefully don't remember, but if you do, you wish you'd never said. You do things you didn't intend to do. Because the alcohol has control of your being. Paul draws this parallel on purpose. He says, don't be drunk with alcohol like that, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be under the control of the Spirit. Allow Him to invade your life. Allow Him to possess your mind. Allow Him to control your body. Allow Him to take over. And in the fullness of the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord and encouraging one another. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit have the joy of the Lord. It's not a sad, dismal thing. It's, it's, a, it's an exuberant, happy moment to shout and praise God. I was trying. I was struggling. I was failing, I was miserable, I felt guilty all the time, and now God has come in and filled me with His Spirit, and, and I'm completely submitted to Him, and He is doing all the work, and I get to watch what He does as I go along for the ride. Isn't that amazing? That's something to rejoice over, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul goes to Ephesus, Acts chapter 19. He encounters some disciples. They seem to be earnest. They're studying the Scripture. They, they are interested in serving God. They have participated, as it turns out, in John's baptism. As they've turned and repented from their sin, they're waiting for more understanding, actually, but they don't know that. 
And Paul looks at them and he sees their earnestness and their sincerity, but he says, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit since you believed? That's a very significant question. Have you been filled, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? He draws a distinction between the conversion and regeneration and that moment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the life. And they kind of confess, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? And he says, well, who were you baptized into then? And they said, well, it was John's baptism. And Paul says, oh, well, I need to tell you about Jesus and Messiah. I need to explain Him to you. And immediately they received Jesus Christ and were baptized in His name. And then, and then, Paul lays his hands on them and prays over them that they would have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them like at Pentecost. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Has He filled your life? Are you under His influence? I ask you this morning, what does it take to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Paul gives us insight into that in Romans 12, chapter 1, where he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves unto God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight. It begins with what Andrew Murray calls absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. The terminology and the verb tenses that Paul used indicate that there is an altar, as it were, in, in the presence of God where we lay ourselves down as living sacrifice and take our hands off and let Him have full control. It is absolute surrender. And then Paul in Romans chapter 6, as he explains somewhat in a different measure of detail, this act of devotion or commitment or sacrifice. He says, present yourselves unto God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto Him that He might use them for His purposes. What members? Your eyes. Your ears. Your mouth. Your hands. Your feet. Your heart. Your mind. Your emotions. All of it belongs to Him. All of it goes to Him. You know, in the Old Testament, when they took the hyssop and dipped it in the blood of the sacrificial animals, and they had constructed all the components of the ark, the curtains and the utensils and the rods and the poles and, and the tables and all the instruments inside and the decorations and, and the ark of the covenant, and they had constructed all of these things. They had been working on them in their... Uh, shops outside their tent. They had uh, set up their metalworking. They had set up their uh, sewing uh, areas. They had crafted the curtains. And, and they were just, you know, every day just going to work. 
just like you and I go to work. They were making things, producing things. Well, this is curtain. We'll put this in a pile over here. Well, here, here I've hammered out this uh, tong for the altar. We're going to put it over here, and I'll make the next piece. And I'll make the next piece. But then came the day when all of that was ready, and God said to Aaron. And to his sons and to Moses, take the hyssop, dip it in the sacrificial lamb, and sprinkle all the instruments. And from that moment, those utensils, those draperies, those pieces of furniture could never again be casually treated by the Israelites. They could not wad them up and toss them in a pile. They dare not take those tongs from the altar and go home to barbecue. If they did, they would die. Those instruments were given to God exclusively for His use. And they could never be used for worldly common purposes again. When Paul says, present your members, that's what he means. Give God your mind. Give Him your mouth. Give Him your eyes. Give Him every part of you. Part by part, piece by piece, give Him your mind. What do you value the most? What's most significant to you? Give it to the Lord. Give it all to the Lord. Hold nothing back. Present it to Him and determine that from this day forward, my body and my members and my mind and my heart and my life will no longer be for mundane, ordinary purposes. Oh, yes, you'll drive your car, you'll go to work, you'll, you'll fix dinner, you'll mow the grass, you'll do all those things, but you will do so as a vessel filled with the Spirit of God, everything you touch and everywhere you go will become sacred. Do, do, you, do you get that? I, I don't mean to talk down to you here, but has that come to you? That everything you do and everywhere you go and, and everything you touch has the mark of God upon it because your life is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. To say what He wants to say. To go where He wants to go. To talk with whom He wants to speak. To study and to think and to imagine and to dream and to use your artistic abilities and to engage your life for the glory of God because He's in you. And wants to flow through you. And then there comes the daily surrender. I think that's important because Paul says in Ephesians 5, the the verb choice is be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. I forget who it was that was asked, why do you have to be filled over and over again? And he said, because I leak. Sometimes we leak. We need to be filled again. We need to be filled every day. In the sense that once I have made this devotion and this dedication to the Lord without reservation, 
each morning, and I do this almost every morning. It's not like a ritual, but it's, it's, it's a, a, an earnest commitment that I make in the morning. Lord, my life is yours. Do today what you want to do. Take me where you want me to go. Say what you want to say. Maybe I have appointments. Lord, give me wisdom and discernment. Maybe I have study. Lord, open your word to me. Maybe I have places to go and do business. Lord, live through me in such a way that people will recognize Jesus Christ in me. I don't want to be just somebody else out there doing things the natural way. I want the aroma of Christ in my life. And then living by faith, trusting Him to produce in me holiness and godliness and godly character. You know what the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is? It's, it's not tongues. I know that that happened on the day of Pentecost, but it happened for a specific reason, and it happened another time in the book of Acts. But there were a couple of other times when it didn't happen. And there is not a normative experience. Your experience may be different from mine. Yours may be in an instant, in a moment, in the, in the blink of an eye. Mine uh, may have been over a period of time until I came into the fullness of His Spirit. I don't know how He's going to work with you. But when you are filled with the Spirit, you will know it. By the fruit that you bear. There is in your life the character of God being reproduced. There is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and all of those attributes of God that begin to be automatically produced in you as you rest in Him. And then there's demonstration of power. Do you see supernatural evidence of God working through your life? Do you see things happen? Maybe you need to have your eyes opened. But maybe you need to see if they're really there. Because it is the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit that demonstrate the presence of the Spirit. The enemy can duplicate gifts. That's not hard for him. But only the Holy Spirit can produce the character of God and effect the power of God. You know what the key is? I want to come back to how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've thought about this a lot. I think about this in my life. I think about it in your lives. What is the key? And I believe the key begins with absolute surrender. I think it was Tozer who said, we're all about as full of the Spirit as we want to be. The key begins with absolute surrender. If you're holding something back, you cannot be 
full of the Spirit. To, to give you a graphic illustration, imagine you have a quart jar, a wide mouth mason jar, and you drop a tennis ball in it, and you fill it up with water to the very brim. Can you say that that jar is full of water? It is not. It has an air pocket in it that is surrounded by a tennis ball. It's not full. It has something else occupying space. If you are holding something back from God, if there's some area of your life you don't want Him messing with, if you want to reserve a little bit for yourself, and you're hanging on to that, you can't be full of the Spirit by definition. Because you're full of some of you. And you're in the way of being full of Him. To be filled with the Spirit, you have to be emptied of yourself. It takes absolute surrender. And if you want the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which is a joyful thing, that's the price. That's why people struggle at that point many times. Because... I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm not dead. I'm still alive. But the life that I'm now living in this body, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I am living by the Spirit. He has full control. Have you... Receive the Holy Spirit in His fullness since you were saved? Are you full of Him? Have you been leaking so long that He's leaked out quite a bit? And you've filled in the void? Do you need to come back and renew that covenant with Him? That He has you without reservation. Every part of you. Father, as we consider Your Word to us this morning, as I was laying awake through the night off and on, my prayer was, I long to be full of your Spirit. And where I'm resisting, I give you permission to make me willing to be willing. I invite you, I want you to have full control. I want to see you daily in my life, I want to see your power operating through me to accomplish your purposes. And I pray for everyone in this room this morning that you would speak similarly to us. Lord, that we would not hold back what you have purchased with your own blood, the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus. That we would not deny the Holy Spirit the privilege 
of filling every part and flowing out like streams of living water. Fill us, Lord, to overflowing with your Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.